Did I talk loud enough? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you're good. All right. Um, this evening, we continue our consideration of the blessings of the new covenant in Christ's blood. Last week, we looked at the blessings of regeneration, justification, and adoption into the family of God. Um, before we get into that, I am going to look back over the portion of the confession we're in. I'll just read it real quick, um, and then we'll dive right into back into the uh, covenant blessings. Uh, we're in chapter 7, and really looking at sections 2 and 3 in particular. <clears throat> so starting in section 2, it says, Since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall... It pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. In this covenant, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he requires faith in him that they may be saved and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life to make them willing and able to believe. This covenant is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed, first of all, to Adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman, after that, it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. This covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of the elect. Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. <coughs> Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms on which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. <clears throat> now again, uh, as we go through these, we will generally uh, follow the order of the confession, which you can see by looking ahead to chapters 10 through 18. Okay, We're not going in depth into each of these chapters, but these chapters do cover these blessings of the new covenant I'm mentioning that because I want you to see the <coughs> unity that is involved in the covenant we are building um, one step upon another as we go through the covenant it's not just a we got a chapter on this subject here and a completely unrelated chapter on that subject over there everything's interrelated we have a foundation and then we build so that's another reason I'm wanting to do that. However, <clears throat> I'm going to violate that rule under our first heading, the rule of going in order. Uh, so we'll consider sanctification and good works together because they are so interrelated with each other and I think oftentimes confused with each other, honestly. Um, and they're not the same thing. They are truly interrelated, but they're not the same thing. Um, last week I mentioned that the Roman Catholic view of justification, which conflates several of the blessings of the New Covenant into one category, primarily their view is a mixing and confusing of justification with sanctification and good works. The word sanctification simply means to be set apart. As Sam Waldron states, quote, In common popular and theological usage, the term sanctification is used of being set apart in one's practical conduct from sin to righteousness in a progressive manner in the Christian life. 
end quote. So this is discussing progressive sanctification. There's also something called positional sanctification. Those things are not the same thing. They are both a setting apart. Positional sanctification occurs by our justification. Progressive sanctification is something entirely different. So what we're talking about in particular is progressive sanctification. The Westminster Larger Catechism defines sanctification as, quote, a work of God's grace. You get that? A work of God's grace, whereby they whom God hath before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy, holy also means set apart, are in time through the powerful operation of his spirit, applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them, renewed in their whole man after the image of God, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces put into their hearts, and those graces so stirred up, increased, and strengthened as that they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. End quote. The good works we perform as a result of our sanctification, though very related, are a distinct thing. The confession defines good works as, quote, only those works that God has commanded in his holy word. That's what a good work is. We don't get to define what good works are. God does. It further, the confession, it further explains... Quote, these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruit and evidence of a true and living faith. End quote. So let's be sure we have this straight before we move on. We are justified and sanctified by faith alone. The good works performed by us in our regenerate state serve merely as the fruit or evidence that we have such true and living faith. So then, we turn to the distinction between justification and sanctification, because now we have the difference between the first two and the last. Now let's look at the difference between justification and sanctification. Lewis Burkhoff explains the distinction between these two blessings of the new covenant well when he says this, quote, Justification removes the guilt of sin and restores the sinner to all the filial rights involved in his state as a child of God, including an an eternal inheritance. Sanctification removes the pollution of sin and renews the sinner ever increasingly in conformity with the image of God. End quote. Justification removes the guilt... Okay, that's a legal declaration, remember? It removes the guilt. Sanctification removes the pollution that causes the guilt. <clears throat> In other words, our justification on the ground of Christ's righteousness alone is a legal declaration which alone gets us into heaven. Sanctification is the moral purification of the sinner which increasingly makes him inherently holy until the day of its final completion when we are perfected in glorification. Burkhoff further explains, quote, 
Justification takes place outside of the sinner in the tribunal of God and does not change his inner life, though the sentence is brought home to him subjectively. Sanctification, on the other hand, takes place in the inner life of man and gradually affects his whole being. End quote. Again, Justification is a legal declaration about us rather than a change wrought in us. However, sanctification is a progressive change wrought in us until the day of its completion when we are glorified. Again, Burkhoff states, quote, Justification takes place once for all. It is not repeated, neither is it a process. It is complete at once for all time. There is no more or less in justification. Man is either fully justified or he is not justified at all. In distinction from it, sanctification is a continuous process which is never completed in this life. End quote. Since justification is a legal declaration, you're either declared righteous on the basis of Christ's merit alone, or you're not. Right now, the... But the justification uh, is, uh, <coughs> is when we put our faith uh, in Jesus, right? No, you mean, I mean logically or chronologically? Uh, I'm not... Uh, it's not something that we can do, uh, but no. basically the situation is that uh, that God uh, uh, God does the justification. But basically the situation is that uh, uh, the justification, uh, uh, the uh, recognition of the justification, uh, is when we uh, have a. Conversion, right? A, uh, yes. A, so a, we are a faith, a faith, <coughs> uh, uh, a faith uh, event. Yeah, I believe I agree with what you're saying. So to try to be clear about this, we are justified by faith, faith alone in Christ alone, which is right. to say, we are justified by Christ alone. We are joined to Him by faith. Right. So without faith, there is no justification. Right, but the, basically, the I mean, when it, when you've got the First uh, John five passage where it says that uh, His Spirit will witness with our spirit, mm-hmm. so that we can know, not guess, not hope, not think, but basically know that we have eternal life. Is that correct? So I think that's more talking about assurance of salvation. No, no, I understand assurance, but basically the situation is that his spirit witnessing with our spirit uh, is uh, is an event, or at least it was for me. Yeah, no, I uh, so uh, I don't think everybody can identify the particular moment in time that they have saving faith. However, everybody who is saved does have a particular time that they have that. Saving faith is imparted to them, I and um, I would say yes. So, without faith, specifically faith in Christ, um, and we'll get into faith a little bit more because that's actually one of the blessings. So is assurance. Um, so we'll talk both about both of those a little bit more. Um, but right now, just kind of briefly, 
Without faith, there is no justification. There is no sanctification. I believe justification, and, I, and the confession, the confession teaches uh, both justification and sanctification are by the means of faith alone. I understand. So yes, uh, that I, I, you're correct, I, or I would agree with you. That's right. Um, so um, again, you're you're declared righteous. Even on the blind, basis of Christ's merit alone. Even a blind hog can get an acorn every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's not you, brother. You're not blind. <coughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, oh, yeah. You're either declared uh, righteous on the basis of Christ's merit alone or you're not. Okay? You're either under the federal headship of Christ and receive all of his benefits, or you're under the federal headship of Adam and the curses that come with that. In other words, you're either, you're either going to be ruled in a legal sense by God, who is the judge of all, just or unjust. And there's no middle ground. Just, righteous, unjust, unrighteous. You're in one camp or the other. Okay. However, sanctification is a process that can be more or lesser in the life of each believer. It is perfectly possible, and in fact, it is the case that one Christian could be more sanctified than another at any given point in time. It is entirely impossible, though, for one Christian to be more justified than another. Because... The basis of justification is the same for all, the merit of Christ. If you don't have the merit of Christ, you're not justified. Plain and simple. If you do, you are. <clears throat> I'm belaboring this point. I realize I'm being extremely repetitive. I am belaboring this point because confusion about this point has arisen within the Reformed camp in recent years in the form of federal vision proponents and Baptists who make similar errors to the federal vision proponents, such as John Piper. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on federal vision because that's more of a Presbyterian <laughs> problem than it is a Baptist problem. I'm going to spend more time on Piper, but very briefly, federal vision posits that um, our entrance into heaven is not just about a justifying once for all act of God but also our covenant faithfulness within that context okay so we may have initial justification on the basis of faith alone but then we must also have ongoing faithfulness Okay? See, that's a little different than what I'm saying, what the confession's teaching. That's federal vision. Okay, now, there's a lot more that goes with that, but again, that's a Presbyterian problem. I'm not going there. John Piper, though, that's our problem. He's a Baptist. That's our problem. <clears throat> I was specifically asked about this after I made an off-the-cuff uh, off remark a couple of weeks ago. Um... So, I do want to share an example of what I mean. I'm going to quote 
Piper. That way I'm not taking his words, uh, or I'm, I'm not spinning his word. I am reading his words to you, okay? Piper writes the following. In justification, faith receives a finished work of Christ performed outside of us and counted as ours, imputed to us. In sanctification, faith receives an ongoing power of Christ that works inside us for practical holiness. Had he stopped right there, we would be saying, Amen, that's great, that's, you're right, dead on, yes. So far, so good. Unfortunately, he didn't stop there. In final salvation, back to quoting Piper now, in final salvation at the last judgment, faith is confirmed by the sanctifying fruit it has borne. Here's the problem. And we are saved through that fruit and that faith. And then he goes on to say this. Paul calls this effect or fruit or evidence of faith the work of faith and the obedience of faith. These works of faith and this obedience of faith, these fruits of the Spirit that come by faith, are necessary for our final salvation. No holiness, no heaven. So we should not speak of getting to heaven by faith alone in the same way we are justified by faith alone. Essential to the Christian life and necessary for final salvation is the killing of sin and the pursuit of holiness, mortification of sin, sanctification, and holiness. But what makes that possible and pleasing to God? We put sin to death and we pursue holiness from a justified position where God is 100% for us already by faith alone. End quote. So here, here's the, let me zero, there were several things wrong with that. Let me zero in on this one thing here though. <coughs> he says we should not speak of getting to heaven by faith alone in the same way we are justified by faith alone. But here's the problem. We get to heaven because we are justified alone. What comes after that is not the grounds by which we enter into heaven. We are justified on the merits of Christ alone and it is on those same merits that we enter into heaven alone. Right, but then, <clears throat> then what happens though is that uh, then we are uh, actually judged uh, and we would then uh, have rewards uh, that I mean, that are promised, but basically the situation is that they're based on, uh, on our uh, sanctification and our works. Is that correct? All right, basically... So you're saying, all you're these, saying all a separate... Rewards. You're saying a separate, like, you're right. not saying entrance into heaven on no, the no. basis uh, of that. No, no, no. no okay. No, 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 no. So that's a separate issue. Right, no. So uh, what Piper's uh, saying is... Entrance into heaven right, no, the, is based the, on the faith and the fruit of the faith. Right, right but there's a cumulative <coughs> uh, that uh, we literally are striving for uh, uh, through the rest of our life. Uh, mm -hmm. right. So, I'm taking what you're saying is we should not say 
Um, Once saved, always saved, and leave it alone. Correct, and and yes, I would agree. Right, no, um, because sanctification is one of the blessings. No, no, and I sanctification understand. will accompany justification. Right, but we can't confuse them. Exactly, we don't go to heaven because of our sanctification. No, no. Uh, go to heaven because of our justification. Right, and the then justification is on the basis of Christ's at, merit alone. At the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, then we are actually accorded rewards if uh, if there's anything uh, to be rewarded. Right. So, you see, though, the problem with what Piper is saying. Piper is saying, um, well, let me just quote again. We should not speak of getting to heaven by faith alone, in the same way we are justified by faith alone. And in fact, that's actually more than just confusing justification and sanctification, because sanctification is by faith alone. He's confusing Faith and works, or what is accomplished rather by faith and what is accomplished by works. Our works in no way factor in to our entrance into heaven. If that were the case, Christ doesn't get all the glory. We have a reason to boast. And Scripture manifestly says we have no reason to boast, saving Christ alone. So, I hope you see the vast difference between what John Piper said and what we're saying. But if not, again, I'm going to repeat myself to be perfectly clear. We get to heaven on the basis of our being justified by the righteousness of Christ alone. That righteousness is imputed to us by our being joined to Christ, which itself is by the instrument of faith, which even that is a gift of God which we're going to consider maybe tonight. (laughs) As R.C. Sproul stated, quote, justification is by faith alone is merely shorthand for justification by the righteousness of Christ alone. His merits and only his merit is sufficient to satisfy the demands of God's justice. It is precisely this merit that is given to us by faith. Which goes back to your earlier point. Christ is our righteousness. End quote. So in no way, shape, or form does the fruit of our faith factor into our entrance into heaven. It serves merely as evidence of the fact that we are going to heaven. Scripture says that if you try to mingle or mix Christ plus good works as the grounds for your entrance into heaven, you are severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace, and Christ will be of no advantage to you. This is Christ and circumcision, right? Mm-hmm. Galatians 5. Okay. Again, the confession states, quote, those who attain the greatest height of obedience possible in this life are far from being able to merit reward by going beyond duty or to do more than God requires. Instead... They fall short of much that is their duty to do. We cannot even by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life from God's hand due to the huge disproportion between our works and the glory to come and the infinite distance between us and God. By these works, we can neither benefit God nor satisfy Him for the debt of our former sins. We can't 
Yeah, got sins over here, but we got these many works over here, so we balance it out. And okay, I've got more good work. No, that's not how that works. <clears throat> Try that in a court of law. If the judge is worth anything, it won't work. He says, when we have done all we can, we have only done our duty and are unprofitable servants. Since our good works are good, they must proceed from the Holy Spirit. And since they are performed by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot withstand the severity of God's punishment. Nevertheless, believers are accepted through Christ and thus their good works are also accepted in Him. So even our good works are accepted in Christ. That being stated, let's turn to a few passages regarding the fact that the faith by which alone we are saved is never itself alone. And again, I want to caution you and make sure this is understood. The works themselves are not our sanctification. They are the fruit and evidence of faith which justifies and sanctifies us. Justification is a legal declaration. Sanctification is a growing of moral purity. Works are evidence. Okay. Mostly evidence to ourselves, not for the outside world. I think both. I think both, but certainly for ourselves. I I do think for ourselves, and as far as... Uh, assurance. I think the passage Ken mentioned the, in First John is another. Yeah, you've got the Peter passage, which actually says that uh, evaluate yourself, and if you find yourself uh, growing uh, and uh, 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 progressing, I just know that basically what happens is that uh, then uh, you know uh, you can be assured that you're headed in the right direction. There are things that I have affections for I didn't used to care about, and there are things that happen in and around my life that can't be explained any other way than by God. Right, <laughs> right. No, absolutely. There's okay, our, um, <laughs> our, our first passage is Matthew chapter 1, just one verse, and um, I'm going to try to explain why I included this. Matthew 1? Yes, Matthew chapter 1, and it is verse 21. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, she being Mary, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, the reason I included that one is because justification is salvation from the result of sin. Okay? We are legally changed. Our legal status is changed. Right? So we're saved from the condemnation of the law. Okay? But what is said here is not just that we're saved from condemnation, which is true. We are saved from condemnation. But it says we're saved from our sins. The sins themselves, those things that make us impure in the first place. So, Jesus not just accomplishes our legal justification, he also accomplishes our moral purification. He saves his people from 
their sins. All right, uh, John chapter 14. And uh, verse 15. And this is, uh, Jesus is actually the one speaking in this verse. Very simply, it says, If you love me, there's a condition. It's a prior condition. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there is a love poured into our hearts when we're regenerated. Okay, We talked about regeneration last week as well. When we're regenerated, we are changed. That's the beginning. Okay, that's the new birth. Sanctification is the growing from that new birth, though, right? So there is regeneration, but then you will keep my commandments. And that's not a suggestion. Second <clears throat> um, Corinthians 3.18 Actually, I'm going to back up and uh, read 17 as well. So we're going to start 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. All right, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being... This is in process, yes? Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who's doing this. This is a a process, okay? Um, Each of you could be more sanctified than me at any point. And that's valid. That's consistent with what's being said here. In fact, that is what's being said here to some degree. Um, We are being transformed. Okay? Um, Of course, this ends in perfection for all of us. Okay? So there does come a time that we all catch up to each other, so to speak, um, in glorification. But at any given moment on this side of eternity, we're all going to be at varying degrees of sanctification. All right, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Again, we see a process. He is talking to people who are justified. They are saved. They are going to heaven. But he is admonishing them, cleanse yourselves until you get to perfect holiness. 
Um, the one that everybody can probably quote by now, but hey, it's in there. Uh, second, I mean, excuse me, not second, wow. It's the second chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> and we, uh, we definitely read that passage in 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then that verse 10 is rather important too. And uh, that's the one I want us to look at. It says, For we are His, the Father's, workmanship. Okay, so this is the Father's work. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So again, the Father is the one who created us in Christ Jesus. And the works are the purpose which God prepared beforehand. So then God also prepared the works that we should walk in them. He did all the stuff, okay? <laughs> He's the one who saved us. He's the one who created us in Christ Jesus. We're His work. He is the one who uh, ordains beforehand these works, um, prepares these works, and we just walk in them. Now that's not to say we're not active. We are walking, right? But nevertheless, this is God's work. And that's what I'm wanting you to see there. Like, all right. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. And this is a little bit longer uh, of a passage than the last few we've looked at. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 1 through 8. Um, he says, Finally then, brothers... So again, he's talking to new covenant members here, okay? Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Process. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on to explain that that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. What's God's will for your life? That's a question we might ask. Your sanctification. That's what God's will for your life is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. <clears throat> Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
again, there has to be a process there for that to even be intelligible. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, this will be verses 13 through 21. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. <clears throat> Alright, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who uh, called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Actually, I want to read that next verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. <clears throat> so again, a call to holiness that is evidenced by our conduct, our works. First uh, John chapter 2. Verses 1 through 6. It's First John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Alright, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So that's evidence. This is how we know there's evidence. And that speaks to your point, uh, Brian, that this is how we know um, that we know him we keep his commandments. And it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. All right. Um, I had thought that we would get into this next one, but we're not. Because it's already pretty late. So I will save saving faith for next week. Um, so Lord willing, we'll pick up with that one and maybe we'll get through that one. I don't know. <laughs> Any comments, discussions, or anything else before we close? All right, if not, then we'll close with, with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven above, we again thank you for the privilege of coming together as your new covenant people to study your word through the confession. We recognize our confession is but the words of men, but they are also the words of men who are your church, men who studied your word, and men who took it seriously. So help us take their words seriously as well, never elevating them on the level of sacred scripture, but at the same time not trampling on them as meaningless. We pray that you would continue to bless our study and our discussion of your new covenant. And we are so thankful that you have blessed us to be a part of that new covenant, to be the recipients of these blessings that we're discussing. Most of all, we thank you for the blessing that is Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.